Welcome into the Duck Territory Podcast Basketball Edition. Maybe, do we need a different name? Maybe we just call it Basketball <laughs> Edition, Matt. I'm uh, Eric Scopel. I'm also here. <laughs> I'm Matt. Uh, we we just we're, we're we're trying to figure out the best way to, to do basketball. We know that there's people out there who want us to talk basketball, and there's people who out there who don't want us to mix it with football, right? Um, because they don't they don't want to spend the time listening to basketball. So right now. We're doing two separate ones. I don't envision we'll make a name, but uh, kind of recapping Oregon's two exhibition games that are public. Uh, they've got a third that we'll discuss and the importance of that uh, coming up this Saturday. Uh, but Oregon played a – they got an opportunity to play a third exhibition game, raise charity for the American Red Cross Oregon Wildfire Fund, people affected by the fires this summer here in the state. Uh I think they raised what, like eleven thousand dollars. I thought it was like seventeen. It was something 17. like that. It was yeah, under twenty grand, but you know, still great, still a big number. To, you know, I'm sure people would love to, you know, take anything uh, that can help them. And they played Idaho on Saturday. A team picked to win the Big Sky. A team who brought back all five starters. A team that's probably going to be a borderline NCAA, you know, fifteen, fourteen, thirteen seed type yeah, exactly. type program. Very good test. Very difficult test for your first game, really. Um, they win this one 81 to 57. Uh, then they played NCU, the, the, I think they're calling it the Franklin Boulevard rivalry uh, game. So that was new, but they were promoting it like that on, on, on Monday. Um, against Northwest Christian, an AI school, uh, head coached by Luke Jackson, former duck. And I'll say this, NCU's always, they get, they lose, they, they usually get blown out. But for an, for an NAIA school, they are well coached, mm-hmm. they are talented, yeah. and they've got a lot of interesting individual players on that. That gives Oregon good tests. This was a this was like a three point game ten minutes into the first half, and I know Oregon was Oregon wins one twenty four to seventy. Yeah, you should get that out. But, but yeah, credit to Northwest Christian. Uh, Oregon mixed around the lineups. They started four true freshmen and and then a transfer in Mikhail McIntosh and Oregon. Really had a hard time creating separation early. Then then they brought in a bunch of veterans and ended up opening it up and got up by twenty at half. But it was a it was a three point game with ten minutes to go in the first half, and I don't think anybody was concerned. But I mean, it was it was pretty good basketball and, and pretty competitive. And then the second half became kind of a what you expected a shootout, and they won by about fifty. But um, yeah, you're starting to see. I you know it's exhibition, and it's hard to you don't want to take too much away from it. Too, you don't have too many knee jerk reactions, but. You're starting to see why some of these recruits are so highly regarded, why some of these transfers we made such a big deal about when um, Oregon brought in a couple of these guys because despite losing basically an entire roster full of talent from Final Four team, this team looks honestly as talented as ever. I mean, they, they have top-tier players at multiple positions that have a lot of different versatility, so much length and athleticism, it's probably not going to be pretty all the time, but I think you watch them for a weekend and you kind of go, this team could be pretty dang good. Yeah, I think going in, the biggest surprise to me and maybe even a bigger one is the fact that Dana Altman, Altman acknowledged it and kind of promoted it himself, uh, was that I didn't think this team was going to be that good of a jump shooting team. Yeah, me neither. A, a team that would be consistently making three-pointers. They made 24. In two games. In two games. I didn't think they'd make 15 in their first two exhibition games. Yeah. Um, total. Yeah. Uh, and Dana Altman came out and, and even said it to, my, to us, that, which really surprised me that he was even so 
forthcoming, forthcoming yeah, and, and with it, yeah. okay with the idea, but he, he basically said that, you know, this team might be one who, you know, he said we always like to shoot 22, 23, 24 three-pointers a game, and that's pretty much par for the course for him here at Oregon. Yeah. He said he, this team, he, he envisions, will probably shoot a little bit more than that because they are that good from, from three-point range. I think that was a really big surprise to me. And um, for a team, look, you don't have a lot of size. You need ways to kind of create some separation and a scoring gap. And being a good three-point shooting team is the primary way to do that. I mean, coming into the year, I wrote that my two big concerns were three-point shooting and rebounding. And once again, you don't have too many knee-jerk reactions, but the fact that Dana has apparently also sees it and kind of agrees with it. I'm not concerned about this team shooting the ball from three. And it's not just a couple guys. I mean, Peyton Pritchard and Elijah Brown, I think, have hit the most in two games. And VJ Bailey, a guy we'll talk about at length, I'm sure, later and, and throughout the season, hit a few in the first game. But it looks like basically all ten guys that they play can Outside shoot, of Kenny Wooten. Can shoot, yeah, and Kenny probably won't shoot many, but we've seen him in practice shoot him okay, but can shoot the three-point shot and shoot it pretty comfortably and looks pretty good doing it. And This is a team where they might put out five guys at any time and all of them are threats to make a three-point shot. And and with the way basketball is evolving, that's a huge commodity is it, having big guys that can shoot it. And we've seen Paul White shoot it at a really high clip. Roman Sorkin, we know he can shoot it. And Kyle McIntosh, who's... Probably technically more of a perimeter guy, but at Oregon because of their their deficiencies up front, will play up play down low quite a bit. He can certainly shoot it. They just have a lot of different guys that can shoot it from three and and at a pretty high clip. So it's going to be a little different than past years where where maybe they were able to get to the rim. I don't know if this team has as many guys that can drive it quite as successfully, but boy, do they have a couple guys. That can yeah, the, the next takeaway for me is. Because we're in agreement with the shooting being a huge, and and it being down the line. It's not just two games. The next thing for me is just this. This is something that you can take away from any opponent that they play. Just the overall length and the athleticism that that this team possesses. Um, I would argue that this team is. I know for a fact. Uh, they're longer. They have more guys that are longer than last year's team. Um, to me, this screams almost like the Elite Eight-year team, where that team had Jordan Bell and Chris Boucher, two elite shot blockers. We know what they did in their, yeah. over the next two seasons. Um, but this team, that that team was so good because. Boucher and Bell played center. They basically rotated in and out between the two spots. And every other, and then at point guard, it was Casey Benson um, running run the point. And then the other three spots, it was interchangeable. It didn't matter who was playing. And basically, Oregon just kind of just rolled out just any combination they wanted because of the versatility uh, that, that that team had. Um, last year's team. They didn't have that as much because they didn't have as many six 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 seven six eight wing guys that could play power forward on one possession and then the next trip down play shooting guard. This team does. Yeah. And they don't, you know, to, to get away from you know the size issues that they're going to have, they're going to have issues. Arizona might be a team that just destroys them down on the block. Uh, Stanford will give them a lot of fits yeah. down on the block. Just there's going to be teams out there that. Will just be bad matchups, but 
a lot of teams are going to struggle with if this team, and this is what Dan Altman said, if this team can buy into the defensive commitments and understand the rotations and the switches and, and what you have within the, the Altman defense, they're so long, teams are going to have problems just getting the ball into the paint to make damage, let alone doing it. This, this is a team that you want to press with, I think. Absolutely. Because you do go deep, and Mikhail McIntosh, I think, said this on Monday, that you, when you take out X guy, you bring in another guy who's got a lot of the similar skill sets, who's just as good. And This is a team where you, you have a lot of kind of overlapping parts, so you can probably have one player not play very well and bring in a guy who is just ready to go and this is a team with that athleticism and length that they can absolutely press teams. And you look at Troy Brown as a guy who I think I'd put at the top of that press because he's so long and got such good hands. I think he had four steals against NCU on on Monday, um, and 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 you can really thrive and you can make things make teams really struggle. And this is where having good ball handling in terms of the opposition is going to be paramount because I don't think you can go out there with torn, turnover prone guys against Oregon and expect to to have much success. And, I, I, I want to touch on Troy Bound really quickly. I know people probably want to five-star recruit comes in with a lot of expectations. People probably expect him to come in and score 20 points a game, but I was really impressed with how he played on Monday despite I think he only scored five points. Nine assists, four steals, a block. Didn't shoot a whole lot of shots, but when he did, he made them. But he is so dang smooth with the basketball. I don't think Oregon's had a player like him before. He just kind of glides around, makes a lot of really smart plays, He's going to be somebody that is almost like a second point guard whenever he's on the court. And maybe at times he will be the primary point guard if Peyton Pritchard or Elijah Brown are in. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him handling those duties. And I kind of wonder if at the next level that's kind of where he fits in, if he's a six foot seven kind of lead guard. But he is a really, really smart basketball player with incredibly good court vision. And you saw that just in one exhibition game. And I wouldn't be surprised if he leads the team in assists. Yeah, it's... He's a guy that just I, – I touched on it in Whispers in the Woods. Um, Troy Brown is a player who, in my opinion, he probably will have more games where he scores 11 or less points and then he scores 12 or more. But I think he's going to be an all-conference caliber player because in his, in his game, scoring isn't the only thing he does. It's probably not even the best thing that he does. And – that's what makes him a one-and-done potential player. That's what made him a five-star prospect. That's what makes him arguably you know, the most intriguing and probably the most talented player coming into the program on paper that Oregon's ever had. Yeah. Um, he's Penny Hardaway, 2.0. Love that comparison. Um, he, he, can, he can rebound. He can defend. He can block shots. He, he can certainly pass the ball and run the offense, and he can score the ball. And I think he's going to be a guy where night in, night out, he's going to have games where he scores 10 points, grabs six rebounds, has seven assists, and three steals. And while you look at those numbers individually, and it's like, yeah, you know, did all right, did all right, you put them all together, and it's like, wow, he was everywhere. He had his fingerprints all over that game. And I think that's what's going to be Troy Brown's freshman season at Oregon. He's going to have games where he's going to score 20. He might have a game where he scores 30. Yeah. Uh, but he's going to have games multiple times, I think, where he scores five, four points, and has eight or nine assists and six or seven rebounds and four or five steals. I, I said it, well, I, I turned to you, and I think we, we discussed this at the game on, on Monday. I wouldn't be surprised if he, I think Luke Jackson's 
the most recent player to have a triple double, and it's been about 15 years. I would not be surprised in the least if Troy Brown is the next guy to Absolutely. do that. And I could see him doing that a couple times this year. Just the way he plays, he's, he's long enough to get the rebounds. He's obviously skilled enough to score, and he is just such a good passer. And I think that's that's kind of – he's got that gift, and that's something that when you have that on a team, it can really be infectious. And I know Dan Altman has already talked about how the team isn't necessarily buying into the passing and the offense. I think he's a guy just having him out there that can kind of help to, to alter that. And then I think this kind of segues into um, – our next guy to talk about, and it's been a really pleasant surprise. And another guy, I was, I asked Dana Altman about this after NCU, and was kind of taken back at how positive and upfront he was in projecting talent and and good talent. And that's VJ Bailey, a guy you've been very high on from the Idaho game since. Yeah, I came in not exactly sure what he would be. We knew he was a tremendous athlete. Both his parents are professional athletes. His dad played in the NFL. His mom, I think, is like an Olympic bronze medalist in the open hurdles in like the 96 Olympics. So this guy's got incredible athletic traits. NFL and Olympic genes is. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that pretty much tells you all you need to know. He's an incredible athlete. He tried, to, he tried to dunk it over an Idaho big guy from about 10 feet out and got fouled and so he couldn't finish the dunk. But, I mean, anybody who tries a dunk like that obviously has pretty incredible athletic traits. But, I was impressed with him shooting the basketball. I didn't know exactly what he would bring in that area. Um, I know he's a good left or left guard, but I know he's a good left guard. He's going to be a guy that can score and get left guards off the bench for as soon as he knows he's going to play out. Maybe he's going to be a guy He's a guy, I saw him go through a workout this summer um, during some drills that the basketball team was doing during the camp, and I my biggest takeaway was, wow, he's super athletic, might be the most athletic guard Oregon's seen come into the program uh, as a freshman. Second like Yeah, you know, but his shot is incredibly raw. His skills are incredibly raw. You then pop on the tape the last two weeks, and he's a night and day player. And that's what Altman said, was that they've done a lot of work with him on his balance, and a lot of work with his footwork on his shot, and it's, it's vaulted his ability to, to fill the hoop up dramatically to the point where he said he's got another gear that a lot of people don't have, and he could be a very, very good college basketball scoring card. And it might be this season. You know, I, I, he might be that, that guy who's the microwave impact player where he only plays maybe 13, 14 minutes a game but he hovers around that 8 or 9, 10 point average because he can just fill it up real quickly. And then I guess we should talk about the final two freshmen since we're just going to talk yeah. about all of them anyway but Kenny Wooten uh, you see the athletic traits, he's probably the, the only one of the probably the only player on the team though that's a legitimate rim protector. Such long arms Obviously, there are comparisons with Jordan Bell, and you'll, you'll see that throughout the course of the season if you watch him play. I mean, I'm leading the comparison to Jordan Bell 2.0. Yeah, I, 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 you'll see that. And you'll probably, if you watch him play, and, and a lot of you probably have seen that, there are certainly similarities in terms of their, 
first off, both are the number one. They both have roughly the same height and weight. Kenny's quite a bit longer in his arms. He's got like seven four wings, he's got very long. The quick leapers, I like to protect the ring. They don't require doing too much offensively. I think for this team, he is the highest level. They're going to need him to play big minutes, play quality minutes, and to protect the ring because they don't really have anybody else like that. And I think we've seen that through two games that there's upside there. I think he's blocked five shots in two games. He's grabbed all three rounds. He's scored 15 points. He's played big. He's been track making against Northwest Christian. Everybody's scored 15 points. The upside there is really, really high. And I think maybe a guy that, once again, can feel a little bit under the radar and that Oregon will need him to be really good to be able to compete because probably something else we should mention, MJ Cage. Probably not on the team right now. Probably not going to be with the team. Altman said after the Idaho game that he is currently reassessing his future. Doesn't sound like it's a situation where he's looking to transfer, but maybe that he's looking to stop playing the sport altogether. I've heard it's not that he doesn't like Oregon. He doesn't like his chances of playing. He just isn't sure he wants playing basketball anymore. And quite honestly, why would you fault a kid for wanting to, you know, if he's not 100% committed of wanting to play and go, I mean, look, this is a job. Whether the NCAA wants to call it or not, this is a job. And why would you want to go through the rigors of, practice schedule, film, weight training, medical rehab, on top of staying eligible and, and you know, the time it takes for you to, to get your studies done uh, day in and day out if you don't love it. Yeah. And he's he's currently trying to decide what he wants to do. Maybe he has a epiphany and comes back. Maybe he decides, you know what, I'm done. I don't want to play basketball anymore. Um, he was going to be counted on to help this team mm-hmm. down the block. I think – Eventually, he was probably going to be a guy who was going to probably play 15, maybe 20 minutes a game. Um, I think this his departure puts a bigger importance on Wooten. I think Wooten, I've led the charge here. He's he's Jordan Bell 2.0. Oregon coaches, you know, are are very high on him when they signed him. Um, I've heard from people inside the program that he's just he's he's further along when Jordan Bell was a freshman. Uh, when he got here offensively, very similar defensively. Uh, he's going to block a lot of shots. I won't be surprised if, if Wooten is a guy that blocks 70 shots this season uh, for Oregon. And, you know, before Jordan Bell and Chris Boucher showed up, that would be the school record. Um, <laughs> no, it would be about fifth, I think. <laughs> and for, the se- for the season. For the season, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I, I think he's going to be by the middle of the year, Oregon starting center. Um, and Dana Altman said that Wooten's a guy that's, He's kind of realized, look, I don't need to score. There's a lot of guys that can can fill it up. I'm going to rebound, defend, and block shots, and that's going to get him on the floor, and that's going to make it's going to make him so valuable for this team uh, moving forward. And then, last but not least, the other freshman, the other newcomer on this team, uh, that's a freshman at least, is Abu Kigab uh, from Canada, a guy that who coming out of high school was deemed as a very emotional, very aggressive basketball player, a la Dylan Brooks, very similar comparisons there, uh, more so than the Canadian connection. Yeah. Um, that seems to be true. That's, say, that's, that's translated over. Basically what we've seen in two games is every time he catches the ball, 
He's confident that he can score, and he drives and tries to do so. So far, that's kind of come with limited success and with a lot of charges. But you see the, the upsides there. I think he's a guy who's, who, you know, when he gets his focus right on what he's going to bring to this team, which I think ultimately will be a really aggressive defender who can be kind of a supplementary scorer, he's going to be very valuable. Right now, I think he thinks he's trying to score 20 points a game, and that's not something he can do because you can't just drive it every single time as hard as you can and expect to score. You've got to find other ways to do it, and he'll learn. I think you, you see the upside there, though, watching him. That he's he's got a lot of skills. He's very competitive, which you like, which you, I think you love on a team with a lot of true freshmen, a lot of inexperience. You want a guy who's got that fire and, and passion. But I think right now it's putting a little bit in place. Overall, two games in. You've seen two. I've seen one. Um, I'll speak for myself. I'll let you say your your yeah. piece on this. I think this team, the outlook of this team, is better than expected. I'm not going to say they're going to get to the Final Four again. No, yeah. They're, they're going to win the Pac-12. Yeah, um, but it's not going to you – know, I already thought they would, but I'm, I feel more confident in them finishing higher than their preseason ranking of fourth in the Pac-12. This is – it's such a weird year in the conference, though, because you're looking at Arizona and USC having all of this, this cloud over their program because right. the FBI investigation, you just kind of wonder – I mean, first off, is could something come down midseason that – takes away their postseason. I mean, is there I mean, something weird could happen just because they're involved in this investigation? And, and Oregon, to me, along with UCLA probably, and I think Stanford's kind of the dark horse as well, of the teams that don't have currently any ties to that whole thing, probably most ready to, to jump in. And I think there's, there is a scenario here where if weird, something weird happens and for whatever reason Arizona and USC aren't, eligible for a tournament berth or whatever, I think Oregon can absolutely win this conference. I think they're talented enough. and it's. I think it'll come down to them coming together and, and developing, especially on the defensive end, because there are some concerns about defending bigger teams. And, but there's certainly more upside, I think, here than I had anticipated, especially with a couple of those freshmen that we mentioned. I think coming in, a lot of people were like, hey, Troy Brown is a great five-star talent. They've got these transfers that put up big numbers in the Elijah Brown, but I think almost across the board, everybody has probably been as good or better than, than expected. I mean, I'll, I'll say this right now. They're, they're nowhere near day one ready as the previous two teams. Right. Not even close. No, no, of course not. Not even close. But I think the ceiling for this team is higher than either of those teams, as crazy as that sounds, um, just because... They've got a ton of athletes. They got some scores, and they've got some guys who are going to be very good defensively on this team. And the question becomes, how quickly do they kind of find their groove, build that potential, and can they get to the point where they're playing at the most optimal levels at the end of the year, or are they going to, or is it going to be a struggle, you know, to, to find that groove? Um, we saw in 2013, 2014, I believe it was, uh, when Oregon had Joe Young as a junior, Mike Moser as a senior, Dotson, um, Artis, uh, Ben Carter, Khalid, Jonathan Moy, yeah, Jonathan that really deep team. I mean, that team was incredible. That was probably the deepest team Oregon's had in terms of just how many guys could legitimately play week in, week out. I think it was 11 guys. Um, that team was did not meet, in my opinion, 
the talent that they had did not translate to the how far they should have gone in the tournament. And the reason for that is because it took them a really long time to find their way and find what worked, find everyone's roles, buy into the, the coaching that Altman and his staff were doing. And, you know, they started off, I think, 14, 15, and 0, but they didn't find anybody really all that important. They had a whole lot of ugly wins in that winning streak. And then they hit a, I think they hit a point where they, they lost, like, 7 of, like, 12. Seven of, it might have been worse. It, it was yeah, pretty bad. They were started off like one in eight or something. Yeah, it was it was really bad for, for that team. And, and finally, they ended up winning like the last like seven games to get in the tournament. But but that midseason slump, that struggle when the competition got tough and they couldn't figure out their roles and figure out you know how this team was going to be playing, it cost them a good seed and they ended up having to play a Final Four Wisconsin team in the second round. And you know they probably should have won that game against Wisconsin, but they didn't. Uh, and they got knocked out in the second round. This is that type of a year for them. They can go really far, but it's how quickly can they adjust. And if it, you know the track record is good that Oregon will finish well in the back end of conference. Never lost in the last five years past Valentine's Day. Pretty incredible stat. Um, and I think they're 30-6 and six or something um, the last four years in the back nine in conference. So you know they'll be good. At, or more than likely they'll be good with Dana Altman as a head coach in the back end. It's those first nine games and making sure that they show that up, I think. That's going to do it for us. We went a little long, but Oregon plays Oklahoma on Saturday in Las Vegas in a closed scrimmage. No reporters, no media. Yeah. I don't even think family's allowed to go and watch this game in Vegas. Um, details of that will be very scarce. We'll try and get them uh, best we can from people who uh, we know inside the program. Um, and then on top of that, the season starts off next Friday. Uh, November 10th, mm-hmm. uh, 9 p.m. game against Coppin State. You open the 2017-2018 season. We'll t- we'll discuss that game way more at length, kind of the season, kind of projections and stuff going in. Uh, but next week, 